Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Each person chooses the power that they're going to claim for their daily lives. Some people look to Jesus, while others may look to themselves for power. Or maybe to others, or even to evil to find power. But the thing is, everyone needs power to make it through this world. But know that some power sources, they seek to take away from you, rather than to build you up. You see, Jesus' power, even Jesus', was misunderstood by many, as we're going to see today in Scripture. So how do you understand Jesus' power today? Well, with Halloween quickly approaching, I thought I would look at a supernatural passage today, this morning, that gives chills and thrills of power. Yes, good versus evil, Jesus versus Satan, with warring angels and demons. And spoiler alert, Jesus wins. But actually, it is now more important than ever to study, to learn And to trust the power of Jesus in a world that does everything it can to minimize it. You see, as we look at our scriptures today, the first thing that we see is that Jesus' power was misunderstood. Jesus' power was misunderstood. We're looking in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 28. Before I read that, I just want to ask you, have you ever been misunderstood? I know I have. There are times when you have the most honest and purest of intentions... But yet people can misunderstand you. And it is unfortunate, but the truth is that all you can really do is stand your ground. Trust God and continue your mission until people do understand. And that is exactly what Jesus did. So we can learn something from him this morning. This is Jesus and the Prince of Demons. Starting with verse 20, Mark 3. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Have y'all ever been so busy you you remember you forgot lunch or you forgot breakfast or you just you just too busy to eat? Well, this was Jesus. I mean, they were going from place to place, teaching and healing and and, and doing the ministry. So there were people following him. He was the the most popular person to be around at that time. And then so he didn't find time to eat. So verse 21, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. (laughs) They said, he's out of his mind. So, you know, no one knows us like family, right? And I'm sure you've considered, if you've had siblings that were acting a little out of sorts, hey, you've lost your mind, you need to take a nap, you need to get something, you need to calm down, or whatever you need. I mean, you've, you've had those conversations, but the difference here is, is that, Jesus is the Son of God. His ministry is changing right before him. But yet now his family is telling Jesus, you're out of your mind. They had no idea who they were talking to. Or they never would have said that. Folks, don't assume everyone understands your passion for Jesus. Don't assume that everybody understands or even wants to understand Your passion for Jesus. Notice the pace of the events. The crowds were gathering and they couldn't even find time to eat. But does the fact that Jesus' own disciples and family were saying that Jesus was out of his mind, those that are closest to him that should know what his vision is, that are watching him do that, that are participating in all that, they don't get it. Now look, I know any Christian can get a sorry outlook when they're hungry, right? We're Baptists, we like to eat. 
But a preacher can see it on the faces of the congregation. If the sermon goes one minute past 1130 here, but it's like. I always wonder what you're whispering. I don't know if we're going to get in front of the line, Merle. He better be quiet. You got to wrap that up. He finished the sermon 20 minutes ago, but he's still preaching. All joking aside, though, I do believe that the heart can only endure what the seat can endure. But for the purpose of this, the purpose of this is that sometimes we just get passionate about Jesus. And folks, sometimes we may have a service that goes one minute over 1130. Some days Jesus might show up and some days maybe we should have stopped the service 20 minutes earlier. But I find it amazing that Jesus was the reason everyone was there, yet his own family discounted him. He was the master of ceremonies. He was the reason people were there. Jesus left a good job as a carpenter to become a traveling preacher. He was now the most famous person around, a person that could raise their credibility if they were in his circle. Yeah, the disciples were following him because he called them to follow, but they always kind of struggled with the fact of, hey, we are part of Jesus's entourage. And so we're a little bit better than everybody else. But Jesus was being pressed on every side with crowds who were demanding his undivided attention. If you have multiple children in your family or multiple people at your job or a big family or responsible for multiple people and you have something going on, you know there are times where everybody wants your attention. I'll never forget, I was with a friend of mine. He has, uh, he and his wife have like six or seven children. And so one of the younger ones, we were trying to have a conversation. Literally trying to have a conversation. And this is what his young son was doing. Dad, 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 dad. It just, it's nonstop. I'm like, you can answer him. It's all right. But that's the thing. We always have people saying, hey, listen to me. I need this. I need that. All of us have it in our families. All of us have it in our jobs. All of us have it in our community. But the thing is, Jesus' family even tried to take control of him. And this is where the issue begins. They were well-intentioned, but they basically tried to force Jesus to stop what he was doing in order to take a break by going back to Jerusalem, eating and refreshing their batteries. That's what they wanted to do. But this passage is basically saying, the family is saying in a nice way, Jesus, we love you and all this stuff you're sharing, but you've got to stop and take a bite to eat. And what they're probably saying is, you know, we're hungry, we're tired. They say, look, we need to back off a little bit. They are telling the Son of God to slow down. They are telling the Son of God to pace it. They had no idea what his passion was pushing him to do. They saw Jesus as their family member, but not the Son of God. So even the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were threatened by Jesus' power. So we see a family and loved ones that didn't really understand, they misunderstood the power. And now we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law that were threatened by it. We see in verse 22, but the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan. Oh, no, they didn't. Hold on a minute. I think my battery came out. You know, you're preaching hard when the battery comes up. Lock that thing in there. Okay, am I back on? 
No. I guess I guess I need some duct tape. But anyway, he's possessed by Satan. I'm like, no, he didn't. These these Pharisees are saying that look, this Jesus guy is powered by Satan. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. And check this out. Here's the point I want you to see. Is that people who misunderstand you do not mind lying about you in order to discredit you. And that's truth. If some days you are a little bit more filled with the Spirit than others, and or your here's the biggest thing, folks. When your obedience... When you say, no, I can't do that, or no, I've changed and, and that's not my priority anymore, and, and I don't get fulfillment out of that anymore. I'm, I'm more fulfilled by doing the will of God. I'm more fulfilled by doing things with my family. And when you start saying those things, it's easy for other people to start lying about you because your obedience makes their disobedience stick out like a sore thumb. And in here, we see the religious teachers of the law were basically threatened by Jesus his following was threatening the power base they had. I mean, it used to be all of the spiritual needs regarding God. The, the Jewish people would come to the priests and the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. Now they're coming to this Yahoo that claims that he's the son of God. So now they're starting rumors saying that he is powered by Satan himself. Folks, sometimes your excitement for your faith in Jesus will make those who've lost their passion for him long ago Get jealous or angry. It's sad, but we've seen this in churches too. There'll be a group of people that are, the Lord is really working in, but they hadn't been at the church long enough, or they're not from the right family, so all of a sudden all the, the power families and the power people start talking about them and start putting them down and trying to get them. Luckily, that doesn't happen to this church, but I've been in churches where it happens. And y'all have too. It's not fun. Because some people, they get fired up for Jesus, they get, on, they get passionate for Jesus, and then it makes those that are not angry because it reminds them of what they don't have. Folks, don't let others determine your commitment to Jesus. Stay true and stay strong. And here we see Jesus responds to that. He's like, yeah, you say that, but let me take you to school for a minute, gentlemen. This is what he says in verse 23. Jesus responds to the claim that he's using Satan's power. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods. Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. So let me explain to you what this means. Satan's power cannot be used to defeat Satan. Satan will never, ever use his power to work against himself. You see, Satan is in no way under the power of himself. And he defeats, Jesus defeats Satan, which makes him more powerful. That's what he's talking about here with, if you go into the house of a strong man. When someone like you and I come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, Satan is defeated. He's, his hold of sin and death 
is no longer binding us. And Jesus looked at every life delivered from Satan's domination and said, I am plundering the kingdom of Satan one life at a time. So my friend, on those occasions when someone either walks forward and claims Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, or you did it, you've done that at another church at a different age or, or with somebody, but you've claimed Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that is proof that Jesus' power trumps Satan's power. There is only one sin that God will not forgive. It says in verse 28, Before I read verse 28, I wanted to tell you that Satan can have power over you, but Jesus' power is greater, even to forgive. What does that mean? Well, if you look at verse 28, it says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. So what is he saying here? Jesus is saying, Satan may have power, but my power is greater, so that no matter what you have done, you can Be forgiven, no matter what you have done. You say, oh, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. Jesus does, and he knew that when he died to forgive you for that. Because verse 28 says, I tell you the truth, all sin, all is all, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. My friends, there is only one sin that God will not forgive. And that's called apostasy. That means the absolute rejection or abandonment or just a renunciation of Jesus Christ saying, I do not believe, I will not believe, and I will never believe. That is an unpardonable sin because you have said thanks but no thanks to the offer that Jesus made through his death and resurrection. But other than that, no matter what you have done against God, Jesus or others, you can be forgiven. Also, our forgiveness is not based on our ability to earn God's forgiveness. It's based on Jesus' power to offer it. I wish you would just take a second and think about that. Just think about that. Our forgiveness is not based on our ability to earn God's forgiveness. What did you do to earn God's forgiveness? Nothing. Nothing. It is a gift. It is a gift of what Jesus has given to you through his death. And I know it seems like I'm a a broken record this morning talking about what Jesus has done for you. But I can't help but talk about that because that is what this world needs to hear. The, The hearts of people today have become calloused to the gospel. They have refused to repent. They don't want to admit they are wrong. And they don't want to admit that they need Jesus. So all the more we need people Christians that will share Jesus in the way that they live, in the way that they talk. And we need to preach about Jesus and we need to share Jesus because forgiveness is not going to be found in your bank account. Forgiveness is not going to be found on your Facebook feed. Forgiveness is not going to be found in your political affiliation. Forgiveness comes from Jesus Christ, and it's based on Jesus' power to offer it, not your job to live up to it. Nobody lives up to that standard. That's why Jesus had to die. The second passage I want to look at is in Mark chapter 5. We see that Jesus' power gives him the authority over all, even demons. Yeah, I know that uh, Halloween's coming up, and 
and we've got several people in our church that, I mean, they, they, they love that, they love Halloween. And hey, okay, go for it. But the, the thing is, is that we all like to believe in angels and our loved ones coming back and, and helping us out and, and talking to us after they've passed on. And we like to talk about the angels that are surrounding the bed of our loved ones when they're sick. But nobody wants to admit demons. If you believe in angels, you've got to believe in demons. An angel, a demon is a fallen angel. And it says in Scripture that two-thirds of the angels of heaven were cast out of heaven with Satan. So yes, demonic forces that are at work. Even right now as I am preaching, there are probably all kinds of attacks of, of mental warfare, spiritual warfare, and maybe even physical warfare, but there's a hedge of protection around this church. Your mind is wanting to wander. You're thinking about the pot roast you're going to eat later on. Or you're thinking about what you're going to do after your nap. And hey, I understand that. But look, at the end of the day, you're going to be held responsible for what I say. And I'm going to be held responsible for what I say. And the truth of the matter is, is that we should believe in Jesus. We should believe in angels. And we should believe in Satan. And we should believe in demons. Because if you've ever seen somebody's life wrecked, I can guarantee you, it's not like what you see on TV. It's not the spooky kind of gory stuff. It is way more sinister. It is darker. It is unseen. And it is hard to, to shake. So here we see Mark 5, verses 1 through 8. It says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Ges- Gerasenes, Gerasenes. Now, when it says that, I wanted to make sure you understood. If you go back a chapter, you will see that they have just gotten out of the boat to where they were scared beyond an inch of their life. And Jesus said, peace be still. And the waves were calm. So they get out of that and then they walk into this. When Jesus climbed out of the boat in verse 2, a man possessed by an evil or unclean spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. So they're just getting out of the boat. They're talking about what an experience they just had. And all of a sudden, this guy just starts just coming at them. Now, I don't know about y'all, but uh, I know what some of y'all would do. Hold on. Let me see where my piece is at. Some of you are like, hey, let's walk the other way. But they couldn't do that because this man was coming to them. And it says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, the man uh, came out from the tombs to meet him. Verse 3, this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with chains. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. You'd be, you know, I guess I got to be careful what I'm going to say here, but I'm just going to say it. Too many times we see a passage like this and we go into what I call Bible story mode. Oh, this is a cute story. I remember my teacher telling me about that when I was six years old and, and I understand all of this stuff, but you know, that's not really applicable to today.
The man snapped the chains. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I'm taken back to my time as a youth pastor when we had to deal with kids that were cutting themselves just so that they could feel pain. We had to deal with adults that were losing their mind, that were harming themselves. Were they possessed by demons? Maybe. Are there people on the streets of Homeland Park and in your neighborhoods that are possessed by demons? Maybe. Maybe not possessed, but at least under the influence of. But we're good Baptists. We don't like to talk about that kind of stuff. We want to go door to door and get some candy and dress up, but we don't want to talk about the fact that there's real evil in this world. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm not trying to be some kind of expert on it, but I will tell you in my entire ministry, there have been two occasions where I truly believe in the Holy Spirit, I came across two people that were possessed by evil spirits. And it's nothing like you see on TV. It's much colder, it's much darker, and it's much scarier. But the only thing that got me out of the situations was the power and the name of Jesus Christ. And there are people today you may know or not know or see that are under this same kind of bondage. Because the demon-possessed man, he had super strength. He was unable to be subdued. He had no rest. He was roaming in the cemeteries and the catacombs. He lived among the dead, folks. He was surrounded by death. He was separated from his family. He was separated from his friends. He was naked in a a a a burial place, shackled, and he just he was out of his mind. And you've got to separate the person. From the spirit that was within him. This man was in poor shape. This man was in bondage. This man was being used by evil. And my friends, that is evil's plan for you and your family. To use you and then discard you. Because you are made in the image of God. And since you're made in the image of God, Satan cannot stand it. And he wants to destroy you. He was a tortured soul, and he desired to hurt himself. It says in verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and here's where the power of Jesus comes down. This this demonic, possessed man, instead of going crazy on Jesus and the disciples and hitting them and breaking their arms and doing all these things, notice what it says. And he bowed low before him. Because of the power of Jesus. And then it says in verse 7, With a shriek, he screamed, Why you were interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Isn't it amazing that demons are cowering at the the power of Jesus and the religious Pharisees were claiming that he was something that he's not? 
Jesus did not seek out this demon-possessed man. The man ran to him. The person was speaking, not the man possessed, but the demon possessing him is talking here. This was the unclean spirit speaking, not the possessed man. The demon did not want to leave his host. The demon-possessed man recognized Jesus' authority and bowed before him. As I said a second ago, the irony here is the demonic forces in the poor man acknowledge the title of Jesus that the religious Pharisees refused to. You see, the human body could be used as a weapon for Satan and his demons. Again, you are made in the image of God. And the best thing, since Satan can't take on God, he will destroy what's most precious to God, which is you who are made in his image. Do we really need to to chronicle and talk about the stories that we see in the news on a daily basis of people that do evil, horrendous, terrible things that you can't even imagine and you wonder how they could do something like that? Because some of them, they've given themselves over to forces that are doing it through them. I'm not, look, I'm not saying that they can make that a case and that that they're blameless in that. But I am saying that, folks, you've got to be careful what you let into your mind. You've got to be careful what you put on your phone screen, on your laptop, on your television, in your heart, and in your mind. You've got to be careful because you never know when that one little spark will start an inferno of evil in your life. But to put it plainly, When evil and sinful desires cause you to act out in ways that are against God and His glorious standard, evil gets the win in the moment. Well, we're going to finish up our verses with verses 9 through 13 and see that Jesus' power brings cleansing. Jesus' power brings cleansing. It says in verse 9, the demon demanded, what is your name? Not the demon. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? Jesus wanted to know the name of the demon. And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. So not only was this man possessed by one demon, he was possessed by many demons. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Do you know it's significant that Jesus asked The demons, what their name was? You see, the name of Jesus was greater than the name of the demons. To know somebody's name in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the name was to speak of your character, was to speak of authority. And so Jesus is showing his authority. Jesus probably asked for a name so that he would know the full extent of the problem. And the term legion was a term used by the Roman army that a legion usually consisted of about 6,000 men. It was a military uh, gathering number. So that means that this man was inhibited with as many as 6,000 demons. The demons had no concern for the man they were possessing, only their own survival. It says in verse 11, There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. Again, Jesus' power trumped theirs. Again, Jesus' power is what's allowing this. And the evil spirits 
came out of the main and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. (coughs) Folks, what we see here, nothing happens without Jesus' permission. If you are overcome with evil thoughts, actions, and habits, understand this, my friend. All evil wants to do is use you, and when it's done, it will discard you. Just like those pigs. The demon's entire purpose was for destruction. If they weren't going to destroy the man, they were going to destroy those pigs. And the one thing that it does do, though, the fact that it's it's horrendous to see that, but the fact that those pigs went over the cliff and died was to at least show people that they were living in that man. That they were actually residing there, and that they transferred to these pigs, and then they met their demise. So what does that mean for you and me today as we finish our time today? I would say, number one, whose power will you choose today? Whose power will you choose today? Demons are fallen angels, and they are at work in our world today. And each person is born with a selfish and sinful desire that if unchecked will cause them to reject Jesus thereby choosing Satan in hell. Every one of you in here, including myself, should ask, whose power will I choose today? Will I choose to reject Jesus' offer of forgiveness due to wanting to keep control of my life for myself? Or will I choose Jesus by giving my life to Him to lead? The first leads to destruction, and the second leads to eternal life. The question is, which one will you choose? Now, I know this has, been, this has not been one of those touchy-feely kind of messages today. But I was uh, talking with uh, some of our folks. It might have been at a prayer meeting or something, but I just... I've got a burden that we've got people in our church and in our community that have got enough Jesus that their hearts are hard to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in their lives. And if anything you get out of this today, my friends, I want you to understand this is not a game. When you die, you don't live again and try again. And that we need God to prick our hearts and to remind us of our love for Jesus and to make us defensive or at least guard our hearts and guard our minds against these evil spirits that are at work and they want to take you down. And if they can't get you through yourself, they'll do it through the family. They'll do it through your job. They'll do it through your health. But again, remember this, my friend. Nothing touches us that God does not allow, so God's power is greater. My friends, if you need power today, plug back into the source, which is Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit. If you feel like God is miles away, I got news for you. He didn't leave. He's right where he was, but you need to turn back to him. The Bible calls that repentance. Confess where you have fallen short and run back to him today. Do not wait. Maybe there's some people here that just need to be reminded that good and evil is not just something you see on a movie screen. That it's life. It is what Jesus came for. And Jesus loves you. And he wants to protect you from that. Or maybe you want to join the church. Whatever your decision may be. Maybe you just want to come to the altar. 
Would you please stand for our time of invitation?